All right, well, we are continuing to work our way through 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2. Um, we're going to start verse 18. It's page 1076. Um, if you're using the Bible that's in your pew, um, if you notice, it might look a little different than it did. We talked about this on Wednesday. We're switching our version that we're using for our preaching to the Christian Standard Bible. And so that's what we'll be using. You're still welcome to use whatever you would like or whatever Bible you prefer while you're following along, but that's what we'll be using going forward. And so we'll be there. Um, before we get kind of into the message, um, we've been talking for the last month or kind of asked you for the last month to be praying and thinking about what kind of church we want to be, what kind of things we want to see in our church uh, moving forward. And so we talked about that on Wednesday in our members meeting. And so I know that not all of you were able to be there. So I just want to share some of the things that did, these didn't come from me. These came from you guys and fellow members. So I just want to share some of the things um, that people want to see in our church. So I'm just going to kind of list them out. One is that we'd be Christ-centered, um, that we'd be a mission-minded church, that we would seek and follow God's direction, um, that everyone would feel included regardless of age, race, gender, or sexual orientation, um, that we would have lots of little kids around, um, that most of our people would be under the age of 35, um, that we would be faithful with what we have, that we would be prayerful, caring, encouraging, and committed, that we would be balanced between reaching in and caring for our members and reaching out in evangelism, um, that we would have a church that feels like home, but doesn't scare off our visitors, um, and a church that focuses on equipping. And so those are the things, and I think most of us kind of said very similar things, and so that's kind of what we'll be looking for and hoping and praying will happen in our church. Um, I don't know really what that looks like in this time and in this season. That's what I was thinking about this week. Most churches are just praying to keep the people that they have. Um, but I want us to think, how could we even reach out and engage new people um, in this season? And so most of these things, if you really listen to them, have to do with discipleship, of making disciples and growing as disciples. And so that's really going to be our focus. It has been our focus, but we're going to look for some, some new and maybe creative ways that we can do in this season. So just be aware of that. We're going to try to move that way. Um, and so let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And then we'll, we'll go from there. And so here's our passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. <clears throat> and it says this, Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of the consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. And we're going to stop there, and it'll make sense in a minute. But the question I started with um, this week when I read this, or when I knew this was coming several weeks ago, is what do you do with a text like this? When you read it and you come across it, what, what, do, what, do, what do we do? How do we respond to that? Right? If we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful and profitable for us, Right? What is beneficial from us reading this scripture? Is it saying that we should all have household servants and that it's okay if we do? Right? Or is it only speaking to a specific cultural situation in that time and so we can just skip it because it doesn't apply to us? 
right? What do we do with this? What can we learn from it? And how or should, could we respond to it? And so we're going to do a, something a little different this morning than what we normally do in a sermon. We're actually going to walk through the process of understanding this passage together. Um, if you got a bulletin, you'll notice in there there's just a list of questions. And so we're just going to work through the questions, not really as much together as we would if we were in a classroom, um, but just kind of walking through. And so these questions you can use for any passage that you come across to help you understand Scripture and apply it to your life. And so this is a crucial part, I think, of what we just talked about, of making disciples, right? A crucial part is being able to handle the Word of God well, um, to use it well, to understand it, um, and to be able to apply it to our lives. And so that's what we're working on this morning, and we're going to work through it kind of step by step. So here we go. We're going to start by asking, what's the context and the purpose of this passage? Right? We know that Peter is writing a letter to um, Christians who are scattered all over the world. We saw this in the very beginning of chapter 1, right? They're scattered in these different places. Um, they're living in a hostile world, at least towards Christianity, and they're trying to understand, how can I live out my faith in the midst of this world that seems to be against me? It's almost dangerous to say I'm a Christian. I mean, he spent the first chapter, and really most, some of the beginning of chapter 2, kind of laying the foundation, right? He gave us this theological foundation of what the gospel is and what it means to be a Christian. And so he laid that foundation, and now we're seeing him kind of build on top of that some very practical things in how we live. And so specifically in this chapter, which we started with last week, there's uh, three or four calls to submit right in a row. Um, last week it was submit to governing authorities. This week is sla household slaves submit to your masters. Then it'll be wives submitting to husbands. And so we'll kind of work through those and see what they mean. Um, and the overall theme really in this section of this chapter is unjust suffering. Is suffering unjustly. So that's kind of the context. It gives us a picture of kind of where we're at. And then what does it actually say? Right? It's speaking to household slaves or servants and telling them how to act, right? to act in reverence and respect. It tells them to do good or to be respectful regardless of how their master treats them. And he talks about right? you can suffer unjustly, especially if you're living out your faith. But if you do, that does bring favor with God, suffering it justly or unjustly because of your faith brings favor with God. All right, this is maybe a, a more important question sometimes. What does it not say, right? It doesn't say you should or shouldn't have servants or slaves. It's not talking about this issue at all, which you're, when you read it today, you might say, of course it doesn't say that. But I'm fairly confident through, throughout history um, this verse has been used to justify having slaves or servants. And so I want us just to say, this is what the text says, and it doesn't say whether you should or shouldn't have them, right? But that leads us to our next step, to the next question is, is this text prescriptive or descriptive? And so I'm going to give you kind of what those are. Descriptive is merely describing a situation. They're just telling us what happened, um, recording events. We'll get to an example in a minute. Um, the other one is prescriptive. Is it giving us a command to follow? Whether it's a general command from the Lord that instructs us on in how to live, 
Um, these most commands are pretty easy to identify because it'll say something like go and make disciples or love one another or pray for one another. Those are pretty clear um, commands. And I would say that ours and what we're reading this morning is prescriptive because he is speaking to a group of people and telling them specifically how to act. Um, but it's a little diff more difficult than some of the other ones because there's not really a direct correlation for us um, in this season, at least not that I know of. I don't know of anybody here that has household servants. Um, that was an attempt at a joke. Anyway, it's fine. Thanks. So let's get an example. So in, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. So in Acts chapter 1, at the end of the chapter, um, they are replacing Judas in the disciples. And so they're appointing a new leader. They've settled on two guys, Joseph and Matthias, and they decided to let God decide who they should pick by casting lots for them. Essentially, they're going to roll dice, and whoever wins, that's who they're going to choose. And so does that mean when we read this text that that's how we should choose our leaders? That we should do the best we can, we should come down to two or three people, and then we just roll dice, and whoever wins, that's who our leader is, right? That's, we could do that. That's not what the text is saying, right? It's just describing how they chose a leader, so we don't have to follow that. So that's a descriptive text, an example of one of those. Um, but the concept, I think, of descriptive and prescriptive is important so that we don't mix them up. Because I think sometimes we take what we already think or our opinions or what we want to believe and we find a text, whether it's that's kind of describing a situation, and you say, look, they did exactly what I think we should do, so that means that's what everyone should do, right? That's a command to us, right? But that's not the way it works. Or even the other side, right? We might say, um, I don't really like to do this command, so I'm just going to pretend like they're just describing what's happening so I don't really have to live it out, right? It's important to understand what kind they are so we know how to approach them and live them in our lives. And so descriptive texts are helpful, and they don't give us explicit commands, but I don't think that means we can skip them, right? We still need to pay attention to descriptive text and pull out from them the principles that we can use to live our lives, right? Because all Scripture is useful to us. For example, in Acts 2, at the end of the chapter, we see a summary of the early church. And one of the things that they're doing is um, they're selling all their possessions and they're giving to any who has need. And so they're distributing it among the poor. And so they're kind of describing what's happening. Does that mean that all of us here need to sell everything we have and then give to anybody who has need? No, but there are principles behind that that we could follow. And the principle behind that would be to be generous with what God has given you. So even though it is just describing what the early church did, we can see how that influences the way that we can live as Christians. And so every text, whether it's prescriptive and it gives us a clear command, or it's descriptive and gives us a can give us a specific course of action to follow or a general truth that we can apply. And so that's how we would handle this. So we have a little work to do in this one um, because it is kind of telling someone what to do, but maybe not necessarily us. And so next we're going to look at the cultural situation, what's actually happening in that moment, what he's trying to address, and then are there any parallels to that for us? 
And so what is the situation here, or what can we find out about the situation? So what we see is there's household servants, and they're serving different households. Sometimes it looks like they're being treated well, and other times not so much. Um, But if we do a little bit of research on this, you can find out a little bit more. And just so you know, for the record, about 80% on average of what I present to you on a Sunday morning, um, you can get for free, right? Very little of what I actually say up here is a result of me having commentaries and all of these other things. So you can get all of this for free. If you want to know how, I'll give you more of that. But don't think, right, Ben has all of this extra information that I can't have access to. That's why he can understand the cultural situation. No, you have access to those things as well. That's the point I wanted you to understand. And so what we learn when we look into this is that Peter is actually doing something different here than the culture around him. Everybody else in this time would only talk to the masters. And they would tell the masters, you should be gentle, you should be kind to your servants. You should treat them well. That's what you should do. But that's not what Peter does here. Peter does the opposite, right? He talks to the servants and he tells them, this is what you should do. And so it's interesting because at this time, and as we know throughout history for a long time after this, um, slaves were not full persons And therefore, they didn't have any moral responsibility, meaning because they didn't see the servants or slaves as real people, we're not asking them to choose to do good or bad. We're just saying, do what you're told. That's all they were responsible for. And so when you view someone that way, there's no reason to tell them to do good or bad things because they just need to do what they are told. And so that's the difference is that Peter is addressing that second group, which in this time wouldn't happen. And so the question we come to next is, what are the parallels for us? How does this fit in our lives or in our situation? And so what in this passage directly or indirectly relates to us? Um, First, none of us are household slaves, so we have a little bit of work to do. Um, But some things that we could use or see in this is, how do we respond to people in authority over us? Right? Because that's essentially the situation. There's someone in authority, and they're serving that person. And so for us, whether that's a boss, whether that's your parents, whether it's um, another leader or whatever it is, how do we respond to those people? Then it talks about, right, there's suffering justly or unjustly. There's suffering that's justifiable or unjustifiable. And it even says sort of, that you can suffer for your own actions, right? There are things that you can do that you will suffer for and kind of bring on yourself. So next we see is kind of, this is where we kind of get the meat of application and what we actually do with this. And so what are the principles and the applications from this passage? What can we learn? How can we apply them? How does it influence the way that we live? And so I'm just going to go through some that I saw. Um, These aren't necessarily in a particular order. Um, we're just kind of kind of get them. And so one is that your behavior doesn't change based on your circumstances, right? Whether the situation is good or whether the situation is bad, you do the same. You live the same way because you're living based on God's principles, not man's principles. And so if you are treated badly and you respond in kind, which is what most of us want to do, 
then essentially we're just like everybody else, seeking to repay evil with evil. Right? We talk about this at our house sometimes. We, we sometimes get the golden rule uh, a little off, and it's really treat others the way they treated me, um, not the way they, that you want to be treated. Right? The real one is treat others the way you want to be treated. We just you typically say, well, I'll treat them the same way they treated me. Right? And so we got a, a little work to do sometimes on that. But he's saying, if you bear your suffering patiently, right? You can break the chain through the power of God. You demonstrating really in that moment, whether we realize it, and hopefully we do, that if you are doing what you're asked to do, you are trusting that God will be just and that he can handle the injustice, that God will stand up for you. And whether it's in this life or in the one to come, those people will be held responsible for what they have done. You're also showing that you aren't serving because you have to, but because you want to. You're essentially saying, I'm willing to serve others because that's what God calls me to do, no matter what happens. And so then your master, your boss, your parents, um, whoever it may be, they can't enslave or control you because you are essentially a slave to Christ and you're humbly serving regardless of circumstances because of who you are. It also tells us there's justifiable and unjustifiable ways to suffer, right? So there are some ways that you might suffer because of what you did. And so Peter didn't want his audience just to be comfortable if suffering was a result of their own actions or even of sinful behavior, right? Which is what verse 20 is talking about. And so being a believer doesn't excuse you from consequences for your actions, now, God may protect you from some of the things that you do, but probably not everything. So you can't say things like, well, God loves me and I'm forgiven and he will provide, he will care for me, he will protect me, he will rescue me from anything that happens. And so I can do whatever I want and there won't be any consequences and nothing bad will happen because I am a child of God. Now, that may be true, but God also in his love and his providence sometimes allows you to suffer those consequences so that you can learn and grow and turn back to him. But it tells us if you were suffering for your faith in Christ, um, or if you were suffering unjustifiably without doing anything to antagonize somebody who's in authority, you can be confident because you're gaining favor with God, right? Whether um, what you're doing makes sense to anyone else or not. Because a lot of times when we're in a situation like this, where we feel like we're suffering unjustly and we're just doing our job or what we're supposed to do and we're treated badly or we're giving commands and all of this, when we ask the people around us what we should do, they say things like, well, just get back at them. Do the same thing that they did to you. Or don't listen to them, right? You don't have to listen to them. They can't talk to you that way. Just ignore them and move on. Or don't help them. I know they asked you for something, but just don't do it. Right? Or turn them in. They can't talk to you that way. They can't say anything. Let's just go report them to whoever you report to. Right? That's what people tell us. Um, but we can trust in God even in those moments. I'm going to come back to when you maybe shouldn't do that in a minute. But um, just hang there for a second. So the way that Peter flips these instructions actually points 
to this. You remember he talks to the servants instead of the masters because he's, I think he's making a point here that no matter what was happening in society, no matter what's happening in culture, the church should be a place with no social distinctions because all brothers and sisters in Christ are equals, right? We're all the same in Christ. There's no servants, there's no masters, all of those things were equals. And so this would be true for us also, that everyone is treated the same inside the church, regardless of how they're treated outside of the church. And just because of where we are in history, we talked about this last week, right? If we would have preached this message like two months ago, it would have sounded very different than it does today. And so I'm just trying to listen and to learn and try to understand how we can respond. Um, And so I think... In this moment in history, it's important for us to acknowledge that not everyone is treated equally outside the church. While we may be treated equally inside, it's not happening the same outside. And as I've, I've listened to other pastors in the last couple of weeks talk about kind of what's happening and, and the protest and the seeking justice and preventing injustice, there's a kind of a, a debate about what to say or whether you should say anything at all um, about the un- injustice towards people of color. Um, and one of the things I heard this last week uh, kind of stuck out to me, and I, I wanted to share that with you. Um, because while this issue may not affect you, or you may not think it's really a big deal, or maybe you're not sure what to say or you're not sure what to do, and all of those places are okay. It's okay to be in all of those places. But I was challenged with this. If we understand the truth about what the church is, that yes, we do have a local body of believers, which we're meeting in this morning, but we're also a part of the global church that exists all over the world. We talked about that last week, that we are a holy nation, and all believers in Christ are part of the same nation, right? And we're all in this together. And some of the members of the global church are suffering unjustly. It's happening. And so it just got me to think kind of about that. And our brothers and sisters in Christ, while they may be safe in the church, are not when they leave. They are being treated differently. And so I just thought, and it made me think and kind of go to this, when I'm standing next to them when we get to heaven... I don't want to say some. I don't want to have to say something like this. Well, I would have helped, but I didn't think it was that big a deal. Or I would have said something, but I was afraid of the reaction. But it comes down to this: there, there essentially there are brothers and sisters in the universal church who need our help. They are suffering unjustly, and we need to be looking for ways to help them. Um, whatever that looks like for you. And it's not going to be the same for everybody, and I understand that, and we're going to probably see this a little bit differently, and I understand that. But I've talked to enough people to know that um, we don't understand what people are experiencing out in the world until we actually talk to them and hear their stories. And so I'm just saying I don't think we should be ignoring or dismissing this out of hand because we might say, well, this isn't really an issue in our church or look around, I think we're okay, 
right? That's not what I think we should be doing. I think there are ways that all of us can help in this area. Because I think, yes, sometimes we suffer unjustly, and this does say kind of submit to authority and do what they're asking you to do. But I think there's a difference between just an unjust situation where we feel like it's not fair and a dangerous situation. And so I don't want you to hear this sermon today and think, well, I'm in a dangerous situation, but the pastor said I should just respond well like a Christian should no matter what the circumstances is. I think if it's a dangerous situation, it's a different story. And so whether it's abuse or whether it's whatever's happening out in the world, I think there is a place and almost a call to stand up in those situations, right? One of the things that Christians are called to do as image bearers, as representing God on earth, is to seek out justice for the poor and the marginalized. I think that's a part of what we're supposed to do. And so, in a dangerous situation, I don't think this is the verse for you, right? I think you should take action. You should report someone. You should try to get out of that situation. So, I just wanted to make sure that was clear, that this isn't saying, right? Because the first verse is, whether it's to the good and gentle or to the cruel, Right? If you're in a cruel but dangerous situation, I think you should call for help and try to get out of it. But the last question we have is, how does this passage connect us to the gospel? Right? And how the, the principles of the gospel, how do we see that in this passage? One is that we are all sinners. Every single one of us, everybody on the planet. And so we shouldn't be surprised when people treat us badly. Because it's going to happen because we're all sinners. And on our own, we want to retaliate. We want to get even. We want to treat others the same way that they've treated us. Right? But it's only through being renewed in the gospel that we trust in Christ and what he's done and how he lived a perfect life of righteousness. And that he died on the cross for our sins as our substitute. And as we believe in him and trust in him, that his righteousness becomes ours that our hearts are made new, and then we can react differently on a consistent basis in these situations where without Christ we wouldn't be able to. We also see Jesus as an example to us of suffering, and especially suffering unjustly. I'm not going to give you a whole lot on that this week because next week, um, if you read ahead, all those verses are essentially doing just that, of explaining how Jesus suffered unjustly for us to be an example for us. And so you'll hear all of that next week from Mike Kaiser, who will be preaching next week. Right? But the thing that the gospel points to right, is that the world is broken. The world around us is broken. If at any time in history... We could say that it's broken. I think this is a pretty good one to say things are just not going the way that we want them to go, and it doesn't look like it's getting better. But the answer to our problems aren't more testing for the virus or less testing. It's not new leaders. It's not more of the same leader. It's not education. It's not protesting. None of these things will actually fix the brokenness. It's kind of like treating the symptoms, but the real problem is the sin within each one of us, right? The answer is the gospel. The world needs to be saved. They need to hear the message of Christ so that these situations can be changed, right? And we can all be treated with honor 
and respect, regardless of race, regardless of economic status, regardless of what's happening in the society around us. Right? So the call is to be people who live by the Word, to seek to understand the Word, to handle it well, and use the things that we learn, whether it's in a passage like this or a passage that's really easy to apply, like love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That one's way easier to understand. Right? But to do the work of reading Scripture and applying it to our lives so that we can be growing disciples, so that we can influence those around us, so that we can see the world changed for the better. Not because we're good people or we're smart people or we're mobilized, but because of what Christ has done for us and we can share that with others. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We do thank you to, for a chance just to gather here this morning and just kind of even work through something like this. We know that um, when we, sometimes when we preach straight through a book of the Bible, we run into things that we would normally just skip. But I, we know and I think that we could see this morning that, that all Scripture, everything that you give us is useful to us. It's profitable for us. It helps us understand how to live. It helps us understand how to serve you. It helps us understand how to deal with authority. It helps us understand how to serve others. It helps us understand how to um, work towards correcting injustice. So God, I pray that you would give us wisdom in, in this time of where we're not sure whether to go out or whether to stay home or whether to meet or not to meet or, or kind of how to deal with these things or help others or serve others or what it may be. So I pray that you would give us wisdom, give our leaders wisdom in this time. Help us to seek you with all that we are. In your name I pray. Amen.